I'm going to start a little oddly this morning. I'll have you guys close your eyes. You guys ready? You guys, wait, that usually happens at the end. <laughs> I just, I don't want to embarrass anyone. So close your eyes real quick. Uh, how many of you have had the experience where you have been rejected because of your faith in Jesus? Because you've spoken his name or given his praise. Okay. All right. Uh, one more question. How many of you hope, or not hopefully, but I'm thinking this should be almost everybody. How many of you ex- have experienced rejection in general? All right. Okay. <laughs> I see people with both hands up. All right. Let's let's uh, you guys can open your eyes. Let me share, share with you guys first a story about rejection. Um, during World War One, Donald Gray Barnhouse, uh, he was a famous preacher. He led a soldier who was the son of a prominent American family to the Lord. And the young man uh, showed the reality of his conversion by immediately professing Jesus before the soldiers of his military company. He told everybody about this uh, this new relationship that he had with Jesus. Well, the day came uh, after the war ended when he was supposed to return to his pre-war life in the wealthy suburb of a large American city. He talked to Barnhouse and expressed fear that he might soon slip back into his old habits. He was afraid that the love for parents and brothers and sisters and friends might turn him from following hard after Jesus. Well, Barnhouse told him that if he was careful to make public confession of his faith in Christ, he wouldn't have to worry. He would not have to give up improper friends. They would give him up. As a result of this conversation, the young man agreed to tell the first 10 people of his old set whom he encountered that he had become a Christian. So a soldier went home and almost immediately, in fact, while he was still on the platform of the suburban station at the end of his return trip, he met a girl whom he had known socially. She was delighted to see him and asked how he was doing. He told her, the greatest thing that could possibly happen has happened to me. She said, you're engaged to be married? No. It's even better than that. I've taken the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. The girl's expression froze. She mumbled a few polite words and went on her way. A short time later, the new Christian met a young man whom he had known uh, before going into the service. Hey, it's good to see you back, the, the friend declared. We'll have some great parties now that you've returned. Well, I've just become a Christian, the soldier said. He was thinking, that's too. Again, it was a case of the frozen smile and quick exchange of conversation. After this, the same circumstances were repeated with a young couple and with two more old friends. By this time, word had gotten around and soon some of his friends stopped seeing him. He had become peculiar, religious. And who knows, they may have even called him crazy. And what had he done? Just confessed the name of Jesus. The same confession that had aligned him with Christ had separated him from those who did not want Jesus as Savior and those who, in fact, didn't want to hear about Jesus at all. I wanted to open with that story because it's a story of rejection. And if you've been with us, you know that Peter is writing to a church that's suffering rejection, well, persecution. Uh, A group of people that were hated by the popular culture because of what they believe and and whom they love. What do you do when the world hates you just because you love Jesus? Is there any comfort? Where do you go for strength or refreshing? Well, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says, Coming to Him as a living stone, 
rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. The the text that we're going to look at this morning is filled with all sorts of wonderful um, illustrations and parallels and, and things like that. But I want to make sure this is one of the things I try to do as best I can is always keep the main thing the main thing. So let's start by looking at what I think is Peter's main point. I think, again, in context, who, who he's writing to and the reason that he's writing, I think this passage is to remind the rejected saint then and now you are in good company. There is one who has gone before you and was also rejected by men. Matter of fact, look at it again. Verse four says that Jesus was rejected by indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. The first most basic exhortation here is, look, if you are rejected because of your love or your praise for or your submission to Jesus. If you are rejected by men, hmm, who's that like Jesus? And if you are rejected by men, just like Jesus, guess what? That means, according to verse four, you are also chosen by God. Rejected by men, but chosen by God. And it says, and precious. How many of you remember when you were a kid choosing up sides for kickball or baseball, soccer, dodgeball, whatever it is? Okay. Do you guys remember the, the dread? Lord, please don't let me be picked last. Just not last, please. Nobody? Okay. Welcome to my therapy session. <clears throat> You remember that fear of being rejected, being passed over time and time again till finally somebody's like, OK, well, we're stuck with. I mean, we'll take that guy. That, that feeling of not being good enough or smart enough or whatever it might be. Maybe. Maybe there's somebody here this morning who actually feels that way right now. For you, life is one big playground, and that's not a good thing. Because you always seem to be the last one picked. Well, Christian, I'm speaking to the Christian here this morning. If that's you, if I have just crashed your mental pity party, would you please add this clip to the end of that scene that you play around in your head? See, the whole world can reject you because of what you can't do or accomplish or because that you're not good enough or smart enough or quick enough. But you see here, verse four, the whole scene turns on its head when it says he was rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God, rejected by men, but selected, picked out, chosen by God. And it says precious. The word precious there is intimos. It means held in honor. Prized. See, the first application, and I, I know we kind of got heavy into it right, right away, but first application is for the rejected saint. If you are feeling rejected, are you, according to First Peter chapter 2, verse 4, are you coming to him who also was rejected and hearing his voice? Are you hearing him say, uh, I'm familiar with that emotion? Rejection. I'm acquainted with grief. 
But if Jesus is speaking to you those words, I think you need to hear the rest of the sentence. But I was chosen by God and I'm precious to him. And so are you. See, the first thing, the overall theme that Peter's speaking to this persecuted church is, look, the whole world can reject you. But if God chooses you. That makes all the difference in the world. See, Peter is we're going to see, I think he's like a master stonemason building on this theme because he's going to be talking about stones quite a bit. Uh, just just to kind of get you guys into it. You guys say the word stone or rock. OK, here we go. First Peter, chapter two, verse four, coming to him as a living Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief corner stone, elect precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief corner and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. I think you can see there's a theme here. Peter is building a monolith, if you will. That's all talking about stones. Interesting that it would come from Peter because what did Jesus name Peter? Rock. And again, you know, Peter's like this guy, more like shifting sand. But Jesus made him into something steady, uh, something that, that could be depended upon, believe it or not. We get this, this great picture from Peter carved in stone that I think is to comfort and encourage this church that so desperately needs encouragement. So first, uh, as we look at this, this picture, at this sculpture, if you will, Let's focus on the first things first, the chief cornerstone. That's Jesus. Now, now, look at it. Verse four, it says coming to him. That's Jesus as a living stone. Anybody see that that's an oxymoron? Right, like jumbo shrimp. Pretty ugly. Microsoft works. <laughs> Sorry. You don't see those words together very often, do you? Living stone. See, that's precisely the point. Normally, stones are anything but living. We speak of something being stone cold dead. Dead as a stone. For three days, Jesus was dead as a stone. He was rejected by men. He was actually entombed behind a stone and the stone was rolled away. And what happened? He proved that though he was rejected by men, he was chosen by God and precious. Now, in verse five, there's there's language that that uh, doesn't exactly fit in the, the picture that Peter's speaking. He's kind of giving us a preview uh, for what we're going to talk about next time. So we're not going to really dive into verse five a lot. Uh, we'll, we'll come back there for a little bit, but skip forward to verse six. And I think you'll see where Peter is headed with this whole stone motif. Look at verse six. He says, therefore, it is also contained in the scriptures. And he quotes Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen there. 
And God is speaking in that verse, and it says, God says, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. There it is, chosen, precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient. And here he quotes Psalm 118, 22. But to those who are disobedient, the student, excuse me, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. I had to learn a little bit about building. Um, do you guys know anything about me? <laughs> I barely know the tools in my toolbox. But I learned some things this, this week. The chief cornerstone is the stone upon which the entire strength, the foundation of the whole building, relies. Um, Peter says to the rejected saints that are facing this persecution, this tremendous persecution uh, of Nero. I think Peter's saying to them who would be familiar with this story. He's like, let me remind you of a little story. See, there was this Jewish tradition that uh, by all accounts we, we believe to be true. Uh, it was handed down through oral tradition. The story of the rejected cornerstone. See, all of the stones we know were cut down in the quarry. They were fashioned down away from the temple site. Okay, When, when Solomon's temple was built so that uh, there wouldn't be a, the sound of a hammer or a chisel. There'd be nothing going on uh, that was noisy in the temple grounds. Okay, so there was basically two sites where the building, uh, one where, where the stones were fashioned and one where they were assembled. Well, the builders, of course, had their blueprints and they would send down word to the quarry master, you know, something like, hey, st send up stone number 7A. Well, early on in this, this process, the, the, the tradition states and, and this, this process, by the way, lasted years and years. The, the quarry supervisor sent up the chief cornerstone to the builders, okay, to the temple grounds. But the builder did not recognize it. He rejected the chief cornerstone. He had it set off to the side. And over the years, the tradition says that that, that stone was pushed a little bit further away just to get it out of the way of, of the important stones. Until, again, the tradition says that um, that chief cornerstone was pushed far enough that eventually it just tumbled down the side of the mountain to the Kidron Valley. Well, toward the end of the project, the, the builders had been complaining to the quarry master. Look, you, you still haven't set up the chief cornerstone. What's up with that? And the, the, the quarry master says, well, I did at the beginning. And then finally someone discovered it, that that chief cornerstone was down in the Kidron Valley, rejected neglected, but it, it was brought up and put into its rightful place. That's the tradition uh, that, that was handed down way before not only Peter writes it here, but before it was written uh, in the original Old Testament scripture. So that part of the Jewish lexicon was this phrase, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. I don't know if you tracked with me there, but do you see where Peter's going here? Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. And eventually he he was and will be even more so restored rightly to his place of honor. 
And listen, the future of every soul that has breathed God's air is determined by their relationship to that chief cornerstone. He is either to you the precious cornerstone of your life, the, the foundation upon which you're building your life, or he's just the rejected cornerstone. But he's still, either way, a cornerstone. He might be for you. You don't realize that he's the cornerstone for you. You just stumble over him. See, that's what Peter says. Look at it. Verse seven and eight. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient. Interesting. The word disobedient actually means not to allow one's self to be persuaded. It means to withhold or refuse to believe. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who willingly, willfully disbelieve. Verse 7, therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who refuse to believe, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Awkward. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, he says, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Back to the picture, if you will, of the, the temple and the quarry. You guys... Can you put yourself in that spot and imagine the shame, the embarrassment of the chief builder? We don't know exactly how the scene went down, but let me kind of play it out for you. Chief builder finally has had enough. He goes down to the quarry. I'm tired of dealing with the middleman. I'm going straight to the source. I'm tired of waiting on you morons. Where is the chief cornerstone? He says, well, I, I sent word to you. We sent it up. Chief Builder says, no, that didn't happen. I am the head builder. That is not a mistake that I would make. What do you think? I'm an idiot. Just then, servant comes up, says to the builder, uh, sir, I found it. It's in the Kidron Valley. You remember, I don't know if you remember, sir, but a couple of years ago, you tripped over it. And you said it was in the way. So you just told me to push it out of the way and it. It went down the Kidron Valley. Awkward. Imagine the shame, right? The most important piece was right under your nose. You stumbled over it, but you still missed it. I wonder if there are any here this morning in that position. You are the chief builder, the architect, the planner of your own life. You got the get her done mentality, right? Christianity is just a crutch. But in your heart, you know something is missing. Could it be you've been stumbling over it for years? Jesus is the chief cornerstone. The whole thing rises or falls upon him. Listen, if that's you, if I'm speaking to you, you are making the exact same mistake that the Jewish leaders made with Jesus. They rejected the chief cornerstone. They were the architects of their culture and they rejected the chief cornerstone, even though they were stumbling over him the whole time. In case you think I'm making all of this up, turn with me to Acts chapter four and you will see Peter, the guy who's writing to us. He confronts these Jewish leaders with exactly that. Acts chapter four. You may remember Peter and John are jailed for doing a terrible thing. Healing a man. They are called up on the charges. Acts chapter 4 verse 5 
see the two fishermen standing in the midst of the the big religious dogs. Verse five. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, uh, Caiaphas, John and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. This was a who's who of big religious muckety mucks. All of them are looking down their noses at these two fishermen who dared to heal this man in the name of Jesus. Okay, they say, verse 7, and when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, read, rejected, whom God raised from the dead, read, chosen by him. This man stands here before you whole. Look at it. Verse 11. Peter says to their faces, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Awkward. Right? Peter says, uh, hello, chief cornerstone. Brennan, you know, you stumbled over it and missed it. Jesus was to them a stumbling block because he didn't fit into their plans the way they wanted to build their kingdom. So the question is this morning, if you're an unbeliever, I want to just want to speak respectfully to you, but I want to be as bold as I know how. Who is Jesus to you? The Bible declares that he is the chief cornerstone and there is no other. There's no other man among heaven and earth that you might be saved. Is he the chief cornerstone of your life or is he just somebody that's a stumbling block to you? How long will you reject him? Will you wait till it's too late? Let me put it this way. Are you described in our text, 1 Peter chapter 2, at the beginning of verse 7, where he is your chief cornerstone, he is precious to you? Or are you described more by the end of verse 7 and all of verse 8 where he's rejected by you? See, it's true that one man's trash is another man's treasure. One man's junk is another man's treasure. Did you guys hear last, uh, about a month ago, a lady bought what they think is a Picasso painting for $2 at a garage sale? Imagine you're the lady who gave that away. Awkward. That they had a, a, a feature on it, and a, she sold it at a garage sale because it had been given to her by uh, someone whose whose uh, family had died, and he happened to be a frequent art collector. She says, "I kept looking at this picture and said, well, they don't look like much, and it was in this cheap little frame.'" So she sold it for two dollars, along with a number of other items at the garage sale that netted her about five hundred dollars. Well, the thing sold, they think, will probably sell from anywhere hundreds of thousands to a million dollars. 
Parker said that she learned the painting might actually be an original work by Pablo Picasso when Tisha McNeil, the woman who bought the painting, returned to her house with a camera crew from the local news station. Awkward. Who is he to you? Is he just a piece of junk, something that's worth hardly anything? Or is he precious to you? See, my prayer is that for you, he is the, the precious cornerstone that you're building your life upon, that you are, verse 4, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, you are coming to him as to a living stone. He was rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious. Now watch, we're going to exposit a little bit of verse 5 here. You also, this is Peter's whole point, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. Remember, keep this in context. Don't you think at this time during this tremendous persecution, this was when people were being thrown out of the synagogues left and right. Peter says, look, even if they kick you out of the synagogue, uh, don't forget you're taking the church with you. You collectively are the church, Peter says. You guys know this, right? The church is not made of concrete, but of Christians. The church is not made of plaster and paint, but the people of God. The church is not made of brick and mortar, but by the brethren and the sisters. Living stones, Peter calls them. See, Peter's illustration is all about rock, and now he's on a roll. Peter's illustration is all about rock. He's on a roll. <laughs> like if we clap, he'll just shut up. All right. Listen, if, if you've given your life to, to Jesus, Peter says that you are a living stone. And again, it's an oxymoron. It's like, how does that work? A living stone. Well, it's a miracle. It's a miracle that God could take something as dead as me and give it life. And he says that you are living stones that are being built, shaped into the, the house of God, the spiritual house of God, he says. Well, let me put it this way. If you're a Christian, welcome to the living stone family. Now, for, for us, this explains a lot. Again, the, the, the applications and the, the pictures start to kind of explode. But this explains a lot. To, to be a part of the church, first you must be placed on the foundation the chief cornerstone that is Christ. We, we don't have a, a place where you sign up to become part of the church because if you belong to Jesus, he's already done that. He, has, he is in the midst of placing you right in the spot where, where you fit in the church. See, were it not for the cornerstone, none of us would belong to this building project at all. One of the things I found out is that the cornerstone typically was massive, 120 tons. And they would get their alignment for all of the rest of the stones, all of the living stones. They would get their alignment from the chief cornerstone. Everything would be in relation to this cornerstone. All the other stones were placed in relation, uh, whether it was in the quarry or in, uh, in the building. See, one of the points to be made is that we get our significance from how we are aligned with him. Right? Acts chapter 17, Paul said, in him we live and breathe and have our being. Right? We were stone dead, but he has made us living stones. We are being shaped into the image 
of Christ Jesus. And again, I learned a little this week about how stones were shaped back in the quarry, back in the day. They would actually take, they would chip out big chunks of limestone, of course. And then apparently they would drill holes in the side of the stones. And they would fill the holes with sticks. And then they would fill those holes with water so that the wood would expand. Well, in the meantime, they had placed this on the, the, the foundation. And the crack that would happen would be in a relatively straight line. Here's the point. Every stone that's on the foundation was broken. But it was broken in a relatively straight line and then placed in the building. Remember that because we're going to come back to it. The idea that to become part of the, the, the spiritual house of God, it's, it's a breaking process. But now look at First Peter chapter 2, verse 6. He says, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Again, the, the possibilities and the pictures and the things that Peter's saying are so numerous that I wanted to go to verse 10, but I had to stop at verse 8 because I didn't want to exhaust you. Looks like I may have already. Um, see where it says put to shame? Literally, that means flee away or be moved. And that, that's actually what it says in the Old Testament. Here's, here's another lesson, another thing, again, that fits in the context that I think is Peter is saying. Remember, he's, he's speaking to a church that's facing tremendous persecution. And don't you think some of them were wondering, what if, what if my number comes up? What if Nero wants to make me one of his human torches? Some of them had to have been wondering if they had the, the stuff. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like there's a good chance before, unless the Lord comes quickly, and before I just pass in my sleep, which I'd prefer, that we might be called to actually stand up for our faith. In ways that are more than just being rejected by embarrassment. I don't know about you, but if, if that ever came, have you ever ever wondered, will I have the the right stuff? I mean, will I will I be brave, or will I flee away? Look at verse six. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, chosen, elect, precious to me, and he who believes. And the word believe means to put your entire weight on. He who puts his entire weight on this living stone, the chief cornerstone, will by no means flee away. You see what, what's going on here? You have been broken. You had to be broken to become part of this living church. And I think Peter is encouraging these people. Look, you're not going anywhere. You'll, you'll be strong. You'll remain strong. Just keep your weight, put your weight on this precious cornerstone. Again, the, the, the possibilities of, of the things that Peter is communicating to this church um, just explode. But it also, to me, explains some things about the way that we interact with each other. See, did you know that, as I mentioned, that the stone is cracked right before it's placed into the building? But did you know that at that point, it still had a lot of rough edges when it was placed into the building. 
So would you guys agree that some of the living stones in this church building have some rough edges? No pointing. But what's crazy is, do you know that if you were to go back to that same temple years later, you know what you'd find? A church that was built, a building, a temple that was built without any mortar, that was completely smooth and, and strong and a, a, literally a work of art. See, what happens is they, they never needed the mortar because of the way that they, they did the cracking, right? It was relatively straight. And they would put these, these stones, living stones, right, in our illustration, one upon another. And then gravity kicked in. Friction between the stones. They ground out the rough edges of each of the stones. You guys see where we're going here? The, the room is filled this morning with living stones imperfect and there's the rub get it the rub no okay um, friction the rub right can can we agree that sometimes the living stones wear on each other could it be that God wants to use the living stones in this room to grind down the rough edges in you Okay, me too. Now, here's the thing that you may have discovered. That's a process that's going to happen one way or another. You can make it easier. Okay, you can't make it easy. You can make it harder, hard or harder. See, if, if we're willing to walk humbly one with another and keep our hearts soft, then the, just the natural weight of things, there's going to be some, some tension, some friction, some rubbing. But... It's going to become a strong, steady fortress, if you will, a, a temple, a work of art, if we keep our hearts soft. But if we have our hearts hardened, well, I think maybe the Lord has more intense work he has to do. Maybe bring out the chisel once again. Let me, let me phrase it this way. How do you interact, especially with those who rub you the wrong way? Can I give you a challenge Challenging prayer, if you're brave, that you'll say to the Lord this week. Lord, I thank you for that living stone you are using to help me fit into your perfect plan for me. Thank you for that living stone that seems to rub me the wrong way. See, it occurred to me that the ancients really, when you boil it down, they had a formula for creating a building that would stand the test of time and be strong and Beautiful. Here's the formula. Pressure plus proximity of the stones. Pressure plus proximity. See, Peter writes to a group of believers that are being persecuted. They are under tremendous pressure. And yet, if they stick together, then God uses the pressure plus the proximity to create something that's lasting, that is beautiful, and that other people can enter into and experience the glory of God. That was the whole thing about the temple. That's where you found the glory of God. So if people are rubbing you the wrong way, you really can only go one of two ways, right? 
If you allow yourself to be molded and shaped into the, the image of Christ, you are, once again, you are the temple, and we collectively are the temple where people can come and experience the glory of God. But the other is just to, to be hardened and not be used by Him. See, I don't think God's formula has changed much. God's people, that is the living stones, in proximity puts them under pressure. If we let it, that can produce a beautiful work where God's glory lives. Now, we're almost done. I wanted to close with this, this thought because I think it's the most important. Turn with me to, to Matthew 21. Again, I, I mainly want to speak to the unbeliever now, to the, the last, uh, last little bit. Matthew 21, in verse 42, Jesus uses these same words. See, Peter didn't think this up on his own. I didn't think it up on my own. I learned it from Peter who learned it from Jesus. Look at Matthew 21, verse 42. Let, let me give you the scene before, before I read it. Jesus is in a heated discussion with the leaders, the, the religious muckety-mucks, right? The guys who think that they know God. And they are at this very moment the builders. They're the builders and they are rejecting the chief cornerstone as we read this. Jesus has relayed to them a story about the vineyard. He says, what would you guys do if you had a vineyard and you leased it out to someone and you went to you sent a servant to have it checked on and they murdered the servant? They or they beat one. They murdered the next. What would you do? And, well, let's say you, you sent then finally your son to check on this, this vineyard and they killed your son. They said, well, we would rest that vineyard from their hands and we would we would kill them. Well, Jesus says, okay, well, now that you have perspective on God and the vineyard, which is uh, the the trusted vision of God, the, the trusted words of God. Look at verse 42. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. He says, therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Jesus, speaking of himself, these are pretty bold words. It wasn't like he was being uh, bashful and shy and everybody else was saying he's a chief cornerstone. He says to them pretty plainly. The chief cornerstone, you're looking at him and you are rejecting him right now. See, every single person from then until now, including every person in this room, must make a decision regarding the living stone. Either you fall on the stone, become broken, become in alignment, be cracked, if you will, to conform to the the chief cornerstone or... Jesus says, have the stone fall on you at 120 tons that would grind you to powder with no hope of resurrection. See, this is strong warning from the Savior to these Jewish leaders, to the the architects of their culture. But his word is living. 
He's the living stone, but his word is living, which means that his word is still speaking to us today. I may have not said it as eloquently as I would like or that you would like, but the, the living word still stands true. And every single person in this room will be accountable for what you've just heard and what you're hearing. He is still a living stone. And now the decision falls to you. I submit to you that he is the missing piece in your life. He's the precious cornerstone to so many people here. Let me ask you again, as boldly as I know how, as respectfully as I know how, but as boldly as I know how, will you reject him again and one day regret that decision? It's going to be more than awkward. It's going to be tragic. Or will you come to him this morning broken? You just place your whole life upon him. Jesus says, if you'll come to me, all that the Father brings to me, I will in no wise cast out. means all you've got to do is come to him and say, I've blown it. I surrender. Lord, take me as broken as I am. Make me part of what you're doing. He's faithful to respond to that prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy and your goodness. I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for the, the, the way that you are able and you're so willing to be the kind of teacher. Lord, I don't know. I hope for everyone else as well. But for me, the fact that you speak in pictures helps me to get it. Helps me to understand. Lord, you know every heart here. You know those who have come to you broken. possibly feeling worthless or like they like they would never amount to anything. And Lord, you know those whom you have turned into uh, works of art and those that you're still working on. Lord, you know those who might still be trying to reject your call even now. Lord, I, I submit and I hope, Lord, we submit to your lordship to the fact that you are the chief cornerstone and there is none, no other among whom we might be saved. There's no other, there's no plan B. You're it. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, be well pleased with, with what you've heard. Well, Lord, with what we've thought, but now more importantly, with what we do. Help us, Lord, to, to take these words to heart and to, to do something about them. We love you. We thank you. We welcome you here and ask for you to to be even more present now, Lord, as we come individually before you desiring to make application in Jesus' precious name. Amen.